so excited to be here. Coming to Go Lake is definitely like coming home to me. I want to start with just introducing you to my people. I think there's a picture of my family up there. These are them. So my husband is a pastor. We've been married for 27, almost 28 years. And then our oldest son, Zach, is uh, just moved from Houston, Texas to Cincinnati. He just got married this past month. That was kind of our big thing. And then the twins are uh, 23. They live in Columbus, Ohio. And our youngest, Rachel, in the back there, uh, goes to college in Phoenix, Arizona, but she is here this summer uh, working. And what I love about this picture is that we're sitting down. And that's because I am 5'5", which if you Google it, is the national average for women in the United States. It's not like I'm a, like a super short person, but when I walk around with these people, <laughs> my husband is 6'1", my son is 6'3", the twins are six feet. And Rachel, whose nickname at camp is Shorty, because she's 5'7 and is the smallest sibling that we have. So I'm like, let's take the picture sitting down. And then it just uh, looks better that way. But we are a Gull Lake family. And I think I have a couple pictures in the next slide here. This is our foster son, Alex, who came with us uh, two summers ago. And uh, he lived with us for about 18 months. And loved Gull Lake, had a ball. This is my son, Zach, out on Gull Lake. I think there's one more. Uh, slide there. We do the dress up thing. We put on all the costumes and do all the theme nights. And that is me out on the hack. Uh, many things I am scared of in life, but heights is not one of them. And my husband is extremely scared of heights. And it's so fun to make him go up there with me. It's just like live entertainment. I like to like shake it a little bit, you know, and um, it's just fun. Um, for those of you who haven't family camped, it really truly is a special place. But we are going to do in our time together throughout the whole day into the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible with you and you want to turn there, uh, I actually have a new study coming out in March of 2024. And y'all, I am flying out of here tomorrow straight to Nashville to go film this study. And so are y'all okay testing out some new content with me um, as I get ready to be in Nashville? And the theme of the study is savoring the peace of Jesus in a chaotic world. And, you know, peace is something that Jesus talked about a lot. In fact, he said in the Gospel of John, he said this, my peace, I, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and of heart, a peace the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. And I sometimes joke, uh, like with Karen, like my next book's going to be like on makeup or something like really, because here's what happens when you set out to write about anything or study anything. God mercilessly just allows you to live it. So um, during the course of this study, I moved across the country from, we lived in Ohio for 24 years and have just settled back in Dallas, Texas. I'm from Texas, but I haven't lived there for over 32 years, things have changed. All these California people have moved in and no. Um, but uh, we're that, moving across the country is one of those, uh, Nikki talked yesterday for those of you who were here about life quakes and uh, moving can be a bit of a life quake. It's a change of scenery, but there's uh, relationships that you miss. I left two adult uh, daughters behind in Ohio. And then uh, about six months after we moved to Texas, my dad uh, got sick. And they're, they're from Texas. One of the reasons we moved back was to be closer to them. And he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he died 29 days later. And you wanna talk about a life quake. 
it, it, it's really my first time to walk through grief and how kind of the Lord to have me in the pages of John studying peace uh, during this season. And I know that he's with Jesus, but it's just been a little bit difficult. And then I told you that my son got married, which is a great and a happy thing. And we want our kids to leave and cleave, but he's my baby boy. And I'm not the number one woman in his life anymore, you know? There's some feelings underneath that. Sean's like, why are you sad? And I'm like, I'm sad and I'm happy and I'm holding these things at the same time. And for some of you, uh, you haven't gone through those things recently, but I wonder, has there anything been disrupting peace in your heart and in your mind? How are you doing at receiving the gift of peace that Jesus said he left you? Are you experiencing that peace of mind and peace of heart in your life? And so uh, let's just go ahead and open up with prayer, and then we're just going to get into the gospel of John to see what he has to say to us today. Jesus, I just thank you so much for the time that we have here as women. I thank you for the laughter. I thank you for Carrie and just um, opening our hearts, giving us good medicine. You said that laughter is good medicine. And Jesus, I just pray in this time that we have together, Lord, not that my words would accomplish anything, but your word, Lord, that it would go forth and that it would produce fruit. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us that your Holy Spirit would just get out as highlighter today in our lives and just lift up off the pages of the text what it is that we need to hear or just maybe something, some old truth that we need to be reminded of in a fresh way today. God, I just, I thank you for this opportunity that we have. Just pray that, uh, that you would help us to see what it means to really savor your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we're going to do a little bit of background on the book of John uh, because uh, what we need to do is just lay some groundwork. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first three are sometimes referred to as the synoptic Gospels. That word means summary. And it just means that there's a lot of overlap in those first three Gospels, right? They told a lot of the similar accounts. Now, they each had their unique perspective, and the Holy Spirit moved them through their unique personality. But they record largely the same things. John is 70% unique content. I think there's a slide a couple down there with some of these things. Yeah, 70% unique content. The first three Gospels focus on the formal teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the public ministry. I love the Gospel of John. It's kind of the behind the scenes. It's the informal teachings. It's, it's Jesus and his guys. It was one of the last books of the New Testament that was written. John wrote it in his old age. The first three Gospels had been in circulation for decades, and John likely was in his 80s, maybe even his 90s. Can you imagine him just sitting at his desk, reflecting on all that Jesus said and did in his life? It's amazing to me as I think of how the church was born and Paul took all those missionary journeys and then years later, the Holy Spirit moved John, maybe to look back over his notes from that time in his life, his journals, he could read them uh, because they could still read cursive back then, right? And... <laughs> 
and to look at it and to, to remember all that Jesus did. And you're going to notice these editorial comments in John where he's going to say, this happened and Jesus said this and we didn't know it at the time, but later we understood that this is what it meant. And I think one thing that's always important to remember when we approach scripture at all is that all of the Bible is God-breathed. It's Holy Spirit-inspired. It was written to teach us and to train us and to show us what's wrong in our lives. And it was all written for us. But we want to go back and remember that it was not initially written to us. That every author had a unique purpose and a unique audience. And as we approach John, we want to remember that his audience was largely Jewish. We know that because he assumes on the reader that they understand Jewish tradition and they knew all about the festivals. He's going to mark Jesus's ministries. He provides us one of the best timeline for Jesus's earthly life and ministry because he tells us which festivals Jesus attended and he doesn't take time to explain that festival to someone who wouldn't know it. He assumes that you know it. And in fact, we don't have to guess at his purpose because he tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, he said, these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. Now, I don't know exactly why God stirred John up that way, but there's a part of me that wonders, after all those years of, you know, Paul and Peter had been dead for decades at the time that John wrote this, and John would have this large perspective of knowing that the gospel has mainly taken root and found the most fertile ground in the Gentile ministry, that so many of John's Jewish brothers and sisters have, have missed God's Messiah. And I wonder if that kept him up at night, just going, man, I want you to believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so what we're gonna find throughout his gospel are what I call hyperlinks. Have you ever been reading an article and you're on the computer and there's something kind of highlighted in blue and if you click on it, it'll take you somewhere else? And because John's writing to this Jewish audience, we're gonna find direct quotes where he's gonna say, Isaiah said this, or this prophet said this, or just a direct quote right from the Old Testament. He's also gonna do some allusions where he's just gonna allude to a situation and he's gonna assume we're all familiar with it because he was initially writing to his Jewish brothers and sisters. And then we're also gonna find what some theologians call echoes. That's just a like, oh, man, when he's talking about the good shepherd, it makes me think of Psalm 23, right? There's going to be these echoes that we're going to experience throughout his pages. So just want you to be aware of that as we head in. And then I always want to remember, because I'm going to mention some Greek words, because I do think sometimes when we go back to the original language of the Bible, it just adds kind of some color onto our black and white experience. And it's just a reminder to us. I don't know how many languages John spoke. I know that I am what I call monolingual. <laughs> that means that I think in English and I speak in English and I write in English because I only know the one, right? But John grew up in a Hebrew school as a boy and would know the Hebrew scriptures because he would have been taught them as a child. But yet in his day, all of these conversations that we're going to read about were spoken in Aramaic because that was the spoken language of the time during Jesus's day. Yet for those of you who know, the New Testament was originally written in what language? 
Greek, Koine Greek, because that was the written language of the day. So as we're going back, we're going back to the written language that John used when he penned these words. Okay, some of the my friend, uh, nerdy friends are like, yay, I love all those details. And some people are like, let us get into the Bible, right? But here's the thing, we, we wanna take a fresh look at Jesus today. Because here's what can happen. The familiar can fade our fascination with him. Has that ever happened to you where you just like, oh, I've heard that story. Yeah, my pastor preached through John last year. I already know all that stuff, you know. And and we say, I want to learn about something I don't know. But so many times we can lose the wonder of just the fact that God sent his son. He sent a savior. He set the story. He loves the subjects and he gets the glory. That is the story that never should get old for us. That we were in sin and that he came to us. So we wanna take a fresh look at him. So I wonder, could you just pause for a minute? Just in your own spirit and say, God, is there something new you want me to see from from John today? Or is there something old? that you want to reapply or remember afresh in my life as we approach the text. So we're gonna start right at the beginning in John 1.1. We're gonna read the first five verses referred to as the prologue uh, going right in. It says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. That's the prologue. So here we see that God sent a savior. John wants immediately off the bat to highlight Jesus's divinity. He uses this word that no other New Testament writer uses, the logos. That's the Greek word for he was the word. Now I told you there were some direct quotes here. Do you know any other Bible books that start with in the beginning? Genesis, Genesis, right? There's a direct quote here that, and don't think that John is just like, oh, I just happened to, he's very intentional. He wants to say, let's, because Matthew did, started with a genealogy, right? Your favorite part, those verses you memorize and put on note cards and are like, I just, it spoke to me, right? No, but there's a genealogy where Matthew was trying to connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And then Luke as well did a genealogy with the other side of Jesus's family. And he goes all the way back to Adam. And John's like, okay, they've already done that part. Let's just go back all the way to the very beginning to remind these fierce monotheists. Remember the Jews lived among pagan people who had polytheistic gods. And that is something they held so strongly to was their monotheism. And so John is trying to say, it's still the same God. This is his son, his Messiah, that he promised all the way back in the beginning. Because God knew he made a perfect world. His son was right alongside him, and we know that from some other scriptures, but as well from the prologue of John. And yet, sin entered the world. If, if, we didn't, if sin didn't enter the world, we'd only have two chapters in the Bible. Genesis 1, 2, done, right? 
But God knew that what was going to happen with Adam and Eve and sin was going to enter the world. And from the very moment, he was planning to send his son to reconcile us, to put us, to restore our relationship with him. And so there's this, this echo as well in this word. The word logos was a Greek philosophy word. None of the other disciples or gospel writers had used it, but John pulled it in because it actually meant divine wisdom. I think some of the Jewish audience, as he used the word logos, might have flashed back to Proverbs chapter 8. I want to read to you, I'm not going to, the whole chapter is full of it's taking lady wisdom personified, wisdom personified, and mentioning its role in creation. Proverbs 8, verses 22 to 24, the Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past at the very first, before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the spring bubbled forth their waters. John is making this connection and saying that wisdom was Jesus. He was the word. We also have an echo back to creation here because how did God create the world? He spoke it. He spoke it with a word. In fact, uh, scholars would tell you that even this literary structure of this prologue is the same as the literary structure of Genesis 1. He's saying God sent a savior. He's making these connections for the Jewish people. And he's setting up some contrasts as he goes on in John chapters 1, 2, and 3. He wants to make this connection that, that this Messiah that's been prophesied in the Old Testament is Jesus. And so he's got John the Baptist telling his story, preparing the way, and then later he's going to say Jesus is the way. I love that Carrie mentioned the wedding at Cana, right? Because that's one of the first of seven signs that John shares in his gospel. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs because signs point to something significant. And he starts at a wedding and he ends at a funeral. And at this wedding, there are these jars. They were jars for purification filled with water. This is a picture of the Old Testament law, right? And he fills them up with wine, which every scholar is going to say has to do with his grace, his exuberance. There's, there, there's a huge quantity of wine. And we know from the scriptures itself that it was good quality wine. <laughs> they brought it to the master and it was the best. And he's setting up, John's setting up these contrasts of the Old Testament washing with water and the New Testament washing in the blood. That's what the wine symbolizes. Then he's going to go on and he's going to tell a story about the bronze serpent. You know, it's from the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, the one that all your favorite memory verses come from there. You got your highlighter out in the book of Numbers, right? Y'all, Numbers is the first Bible study I ever wrote because it's a book about complaining. Nobody's got that problem, right? We're all good in the complaining, right? But in fact, there's a lot of narrative, including this story of the bronze serpent. When the, when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they are, get a plague of snakes. Now, Nikki mentioned snakes yesterday. Since I have moved to Texas, I have seen more snakes than I saw in all my years combined in Ohio. Texas, we just have the snakes, right? And I, I literally, my husband and I were in a fight on a trail hiking, because I actually do like to hike, Carrie. Some people like to hike. <laughs> 
And we were like, we had just had a spat about some big bunch of nothing and he had gone ahead and this snake comes across my path and I can't move and I'm like, I don't want to call him to rescue me, but I have to call him to rescue me because I can't deal with the snake, right? So in this plague, there are snakes at the people's feet. And God tells Moses to kick a bronze serpent, the very thing at their feet, up on a pole, and they are to look up at the pole. Have you ever thought about the women in the crowd? (laughs) How much faith it would take to look up at the pole, because this is what I would want to be doing. I would want to be swatting the snakes at my feet, and by faith they're supposed to look up at the very thing biting at their heels. And Jesus is taking that illustration and talking about how he's going to be lifted up on a pole. And that we are, he is going to become sin for us. And that we're not supposed to swat at our sins and our bad habits and all those things looking down. We're supposed to look up at the cross. And he's going to be the thing that's going to bring us grace and fulfillment because God sent a savior. And I love how Jesus in these early chapters of John calls his first followers. He doesn't exegete Isaiah. He doesn't get into a deep theological discussion. He uses three words, come and see, come and see. And then his followers, when they go invite their friends or their brothers or whatever, they just, they don't, they say, we found the Messiah. And their friends have lots of questions and they're just like, come and see. And here's, here's what I'm asking of you today, ladies. Where are you answering Jesus's invitation to come and see? His plan, savoring, slowing down, because a huge part of this quest for peace for me has been looking at the pace of Jesus in the book of John. Here's what you will never find in these pages, and Jesus ran over here to hurry up and get his ministry done. There's no hurry, there's no scurry. Jesus is just at peace. And he's slowing down, and that's what we want to do. We want to come and see and slow down, because here's what I know likely is true for you. You have lots of things beckoning you to come and see. Your phone is just buzzing at you all day long, giving you notifications. Come and see who called. Come and see who emailed. Come and see who texts. Not only that, your phone is listening to what you talk about, so that then when you get on social media, they're like, come and see that cute shirt you said you needed, right? There's so many voices. There's Netflix saying, are you still watching? Come and see another one of me. You have three seconds to decide to go to the next one or not, right? And we have so many things. Then you go into your house and there's dishes in the sink and there's laundry in the basket saying, come and see me, take care of me. And then there's people. What's for dinner is the bane of every mom's existence, right? What's for dinner? So many things in this world to come and see, but man, what if we get to the end of our lives and we never responded to Jesus' invitation to come and see that he sent his one and only son? And so, and he, so God set, sent a savior, but then God also, he set the story. We're gonna read John 1.14 and then I'm gonna skip over and read John 1.29, but can you just imagine for a minute if a bunch of people today got in a room and said, let's start a new religion. What do you think we should do? I know, let's get a 14 or 15 year old girl to have a baby out of wedlock. And then let's have the hero of the story die. 
by capital punishment and confuse everyone. Let's have him say things like, eat my flesh, because that went over real well for Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that the brand, the logo for the faith that we follow was an element of torture? It'd be like if today we had an electric chair on all of our church signs, right? You know, God set the story. It's one only he could come up with, right? Listen to the story that he said in John 1:14. So the word, the logos, the wisdom of God, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Your translation's probably better. It says grace and truth, right? Those, those Greek words are grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And then if we skip to verse 29, this is John the Baptist, not the writer of the gospel. This is Jesus' cousin John. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was God's plan. God's plan was to send his son, and my translation says to make his home among us. I love that picture that Jesus made his home among us, but it's more than that. The Greek word is the word tabernacle. He's tabernacling among us. And a tabernacle wasn't a home. It was a home of sorts, but it was a home for who? God. And every time anyone in history makes space for God, he comes and fills it. They made the tabernacle, God filled it. They built the temple, God filled it. Now, when we will open our hearts to God and make room for him in our lives, he will fill it. Because he is the son of God who made his home, he put on flesh, and he's tabernacling among us. He set the story. He set the story. He loves the subjects. So here's the thing about our story. I don't always like my story. Do you always like your story? <laughs> I like to plan for good things, like vacations to go lake, like birthday parties, like a meal that I'm gonna make to feed my family, right? Those are the kind of things I like to plan for. But I bet some of you have some things in your story that you would not have set if you were in charge of the story, right? <laughs> Nobody planned for a divorce. Nobody planned for a child that's struggling with health issues. Nobody planned for the health issues that you have right now or the relationship tensions. How about your church pain? Did you go, I hope this church wounds me and hurts me, right? And here's the tension for me in the conversation about our are what do we do in coming and seeing and listening for God's story, for God's plan for me? Because there are some things in our story God wants us to just accept and to just take from him and release to him and entrust to his hands. But then there are other things in our story where God wants us to change. He wants us to move. He wants us to take some action steps. And how do we know whether we're just supposed to accept and stay in it or whether we're supposed to move? That's a hard one, isn't it, right? That's where we need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to say, so here's what I want you to do in this moment. Would you just think of your top three peace stealers right now? What are the things that have been keeping you up at night? What are the things you think about when you're in the car by yourself? What are the things that you can just feel on edge about it a little bit? 
Sometimes I have to take time. You just feel that way. You feel the lack of peace. But like, what is it? You don't have to share with your neighbor. (laughs) You're not going to have to write them down. I just want you to identify them just between you and the Lord right now. While you're thinking of yours, I'll tell you what some of mine have been recently. Uh... For one thing, I have one child who is just not making great decisions. She's an adult, though. Man. Don't you just want to throw your body in front of them the way you would if your toddler was in the street? Right? And so how do I navigate that? Because preaching at her and sending her texts just hasn't really been working really well. Doesn't seem like that's, um, that's gaining me ground in that. And so what is, God, do you, is there something you would have me do? Or is this something I need to release? I've had uh, this thing with sleep going on. I used to be such a good sleeper. I could sleep anywhere, anytime, all the time. And now I'm going through this thing called mental pause. Have you heard of it? <laughs> it's real fun. Especially at night when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you cannot get back to bed. And then you play this little mental game of like, okay, if I don't sleep now, then I'm going to be so tired when I have to do this. And then if I take a nap, then I probably won't be able to sleep the next night. You start future tripping. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all do this too? The future tripping, right? That's been stealing my peace, the sleep thing, the daughter thing. And then uh, there's just been some, some stuff with my schedule. It's just been busy. It's been, and I've been like, okay, am I, is this just the pace I'm supposed to be at? Or should I, I'm learning about all this savor is my word for the year and peace. I love what Nikki said yesterday about how we're good at the past and we're good at the future, but the now, right? The now is hard. And would God have me say, say more no's and fewer yeses? And so here's what we want to do with each one of those is you want to go down through whatever your list is, your peace stealers, and say, God, is there something you want me to do? Is there an action step associated with that? When I do this with my daughter, there's a big action step for me. Two, really. The first one is to pray. And pray is not like, well, all I can do is pray. Pray is not a big nothing. It's a real big something. It's what shakes the kingdom, right? The, the, the movers and shakers of the world and of our history were the men and women of prayer. I love the quote that says, history belongs to the intercessors. And so there's a big something I can do. There's some action I need to take there. And so for you to go down through, because here's the difference between worry and concern, right? Worry is not actionable. There's not one dadgum thing you can do to change the outcome on that. You're just sitting in a rocking chair doing lots of work but getting nowhere, right? But concern is actionable. There's something I can do about it. And so you want to go through those things and say, God, I may not like my story. And you know what has helped me so much in this is something you're probably familiar with called the serenity prayer. A lot of times they use it at like Celebrate Recovery or groups like that. And you might be familiar with the first part of it. It's helpful. But as I've gone through the next parts of it, I'm like, wow, this is a helpful prayer. Some of you know it. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Here's the next part. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time, listen to this part, in accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. And then it says, taking as Jesus did, this world as it is, not as I would have it. 
right? Because here's the thing about peace. Peace is not your circumstances all being calm. You're not gonna, sometimes we think that, right? Like if my kid would just get their act together, then I'd have peace. Or if I can just get through this one event, then I'll have peace. I mean, we've played this game for a lot of years, haven't we? If I can just find someone to marry, how'd that work out in the peace department? (laughs) If I could just have a baby, because that was peaceful. (laughs) If my baby would just walk and talk. If my baby would just sit down and, you know what, right? And then we think, oh, if they'll just become teenagers. Oh, if they'll just go out of the house. Right? Where does it end? Some of y'all were like just thinking if retirement would solve it. I know there's some retired people in here. Is, it, is your peace perfect now? Right? Here's the thing. The Greek word is Irene. It's the tranquil state of the soul, not the tranquil state of the circumstances. And if we can trust God, if we can trust him with his plan to save the world, If we can trust him with our eternity, can you trust him with your today? Can you live one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship even as maybe his pathway to peace? Because he sent the Savior. He sent the Savior. He set the story. And here's the third part. He loves the subjects. You know where I'm going with this because John has like the most famous, most quoted Bible verse on the whole planet, right? And it's not a verse that was meant to be held up at football games or put on bumper stickers. And I'm not saying that's a bad place for it, but we want to go back and say, Jesus spoke these words to an individual, to a man named Nicodemus who came to him at night with some theological questions. And Jesus shared with him why he came. You know it. It's in John Three verses six, I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. But here's what we don't want to lose sight of as we think about God's plan. He did it all because of his love. And not just his love for us, but his love for the world. Listen to John 3, 16 and 17. This is in the New Living Version. For this is how... God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. I wish I had a globe here and we could just remember that God loves those boys that are coming to Nikki maybe in the next week from Haiti. He loves people in South America and in Uganda and across the globe. His, and his, we're here to share that message of love with the world. Here's where we get off track when it comes to our plan. See, We have this group that meets in our house on Tuesday nights. I love it. It's our small group for church. It's a bunch of young couples like our kids' age. Here's what I found. My kids don't want to listen to me, but other people's kids do, right? (laughs) Like, you can talk to them. And so, like, we have 20, we have 10 couples, so 20 young. They've all been married, like, three years or less, and they're just at that beginning stage, and we're we're just meeting and 
talking about the Bible, reading the Bible and studying the Bible, and then we break at the end every week for prayer, and the men go outside and the women stay inside. And we just, you know, sometimes you just want to pray about stuff that you need to say when they're not in the room, right? And so the two of the girls in this group have been asking the Lord for a baby, wanting to get pregnant, first baby. And this one week we're there for prayer and one of them's like sharing the good news that she's pregnant. And we're all so excited and it's an answer to prayer and we're so happy and oh, just feeling the love of God, right? And I noticed the other girl across the room with tears slipping down her cheeks and she's trying to smile and be happy. And it's one of those moments where you're like, Holy Spirit, I really need you because I don't know whether to let that alone or to press into that. And the Holy Spirit was just like, you, you can't ignore, you shouldn't ignore tears. And I just said, hey, would you share with us just what you're feeling right now? And she said, you know, I, I was getting ready to share that same news except I had a miscarriage yesterday. And you know what she said that broke my heart is she said through tears, she said, I just wish I could figure out what God wants me to fix uh, as to why he's not doing this for me, what I'm doing wrong. And I just said, baby, that's not how it works. See, God doesn't love the girl who got pregnant and not love the girl with the miscarriage. He actually loves her in it. It's why God sent his son to be with us in our pain. And too many times, I think we measure God's love by how he's following our plan for our life, don't we? When our plan is going smooth sailing, we're like the love of God, right? And when our plan is just taking us places we never expected to go, we question his love. Can I just remind you that he loves you? And here's how he proved it. He proved it by sending his son. He sent a savior. He set the story because he loves the subjects. And so here's our question we wanna ask today. How can I hold my plans a little looser? And how can I hold his plan a little tighter? Because that is the pathway to peace. And so many times the little plans that I get all derailed and in a funk and in a twist about I just need to hold him a little looser because he wants to work in him. Some of the things we call bad, we, he calls good because later he's going to work them out. How many, let's have a, a show of hands here on how many people thought the pandemic, it was just so good for you. You were like, this was what I was wanting all along. Okay, there's one that's good. Like, <laughs> I love it. It's not the majority. But you know, I was sitting with my son as we were unpacking him in his apartment. We just moved him up to Cincinnati. And I said, you know what, Bubba? I said, I don't think you would have found Morgan if it weren't for the pandemic. And he goes, Mom, I was just thinking about that. Because see, he graduated from college from UC University of Cincinnati in May of 2020. You remember May of 2020? <laughs> Such a great time. And he had had three great interviews in March with chemical companies in Cincinnati. He loved Cincinnati. And all those companies called him in May and said, we just are on a hiring freeze. We'll get back to you soon. And so he moved home and he was like, I'm either gonna take this job in, in Houston because that's where chemical engineers, they always need them down there. I'm either gonna go move to Houston by myself during the pandemic or sleep on the floor in your house and work at Amazon. And I believe I'll go to Houston, is what he said. <laughs> 
And it was hard. And I mourned for that boy having to try to make friends all by himself in a pandemic. And he's like me, he's shy. He's not like my husband. It was out of his comfort zone in every way. But he found a church and he found people and the Lord brought him a wife, right? And so the thing we call bad, we need to be a little cautious of what we call bad because sometimes God is like, oh, you just don't even know what I'm going to bring out of that, that I'm going to work that together in my plan and I'm going to make it good. So I'm going to leave you with something practical. What do you do when life shakes you up? Because life will shake you up. I mean, there are things, and maybe this today at lunch or whatever, you want to just share it with your friend. What are your peace stealers? And where is God calling you? And you know what's going to happen because you know that, that when life shakes you up, wayward child, stressful job, health crisis, whatever it is, you know what's about to happen. It's why I have my big bowl here. Yeah. Oh, what's going on with you, Sprite? <laughs> What's that? Jesus, yeah, Jesus wasn't supposed to do that yet. Um, That's all right, y'all know what, I should have shaken it longer. I'll know now for the filming, see, praise God it was here and not on tape, right? (laughs) But we know that life will shake us up. It will, it will do it. And what we wanna do, what I wanna do is leave you with, it's something that Paul wrote in Philippians four, verses six and seven, some of you know it. I'm gonna read it to you um, as I shake this up. It says, don't worry about anything. Oh, how are we doing, church, with that command? Right? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. That's the word, Irene. The tranquil state of the soul, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds. The same things Jesus said, peace of heart and peace of mind in Christ Jesus. So here's my challenge for you this week. I I, I want us to savor his peace. And I know sometimes we come to an event like this and we hear all kinds of great things. And it's so easy with our Christian sisters to go yes and amen. And then we get home, right? And what do we do when we get home? Here's what I want you to do. I'm taking this right from Philippians. And I love what Chip Ingram says. He says, when anxiety knocks at the door of your heart, you're going to let prayer answer it. When anxiety knocks at the door of your heart, you're going to let prayer answer it. So we're going to use the acronym PAT. Because have you heard to do this when a can has bubbles? You've heard to do that? It's an urban legend. Doesn't work. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't help the bubbles at all. What you want to do is you want to pat on the can. That's what will settle that carbonation inside. So what you're gonna do in the morning is you're gonna praise. You're just, before you get out of bed, first thing in the morning, we're gonna praise. Uh, Specifically, I would love it if you did some of the names from John. It has the Logos, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's seven I am statements in John, right? Do you know some of them? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So start with just starting your morning with Jesus. You are the Logos. You are the word. You were here in creation. The next day, you are the bread of life. I don't have to eat so many carbs today because you are the bread of life, right? (laughs) Amen. So you're going to start with praise. Then at noon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask. It says, tell God what you need. But I want to be more specific if you really want to hold on to your plans looser and his plans tighter. I want you to pray for the world. 
Pray for someone in another country. Hopefully, some of you sponsor some kids somewhere. Pray, we have Shirley, she lives in Guatemala at noon. I just set an alarm on your phone. You won't remember, so set an alarm on your phone for noon or whenever you eat your lunch. And that's when I pray for Shirley. That's when I pray for my friend Allie who lives in Uganda at noon. And if you don't know someone who lives across the world, Allie's right there and she lives in Uganda. Go ask her what you can pray for, get on her prayer list. Some of you get missionary prayer letters, don't you? And then you feel guilty that when you get the next one, because you know you didn't pray for the last one, did you? At noon every day, you're going to ask God for for someone else in the world. And here's the crazy thing, y'all. When you pray for God's plan and his love for the world, it will bring you peace. It will help you hold your plans a little looser. It will provide perspective to to our plans that get derailed. And then you're going to end the day with a T. What do you think we got? Thank him. Thank him. That's what the text said. So we're going to, before you go to bed, just I mean when the covers are pulled up over you, just say thank you for the peace you gave me today. Thank you that today is over and I get to start again tomorrow if it was that kind of day. But there's always something to thank him for. And I'm telling you through, through this study of John's gospel, as I've just been praising in the morning, asking at noon and thanking at night, I'm starting to discover this gift of peace and heart and mind that Jesus promised he would leave us. So, we, so we're going to have trouble, but trouble doesn't get the final word. We can take heart because he has overcome the world. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, we just thank you so much for your gospel of John. We thank you that you are the living word. God, that you... You sent a savior that you then set the story and the story was for you to send your son to put on flesh, to dwell among us. And Lord, that he showed us in his earthly life and ministry that we're not supposed to be rushing and fretting and worrying through this life, that he paid for us to have peace. And God, we we thank you that you did this because you love us, because you love not only us, but the entire world. And Lord, I pray just that, that Michigan, this area of Michigan would be different in the next week as these women savor your peace, as they pat on their can, Lord, that they would not spew worry and fear and stress and doubt on those around them, but instead they would just overflow with this peace that's, that's better than anything we could ask or imagine. God, we love you. We thank you for this time together, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.